So we, um, we are going to do Leviticus. And it really, I, I don't know why people have this negative feeling on Leviticus. It, most people think it's dry, it's boring, it's dull. Um, and I know a lot of people who start off wanting to read the entire Bible, right? They get through Genesis, they get through Exodus, they hit Leviticus, and they stop. And, and they blame Leviticus for that. But I, I'm going to just try, um, tonight we're just going to give an introduction, we're not going to get into Leviticus. I just want to try to explain to you why I think Leviticus is so important, why Jesus thinks Leviticus was so important, why the Jewish faith believes Leviticus is so important, why Leviticus is one of the foundational books of our entire faith. Other than that, you don't need to know it at all. I mean, um, one day when you go see God and he asks, so what do you think about Leviticus 19.2? You're going to stare at God and say, Leviticus, who reads that? And then it's going to be ugly. Leviticus 19.2, you should look it up. Um, it really, it's really a good passage, a good, good book. Um, it is, but I, I have come to believe, and it, it, it wasn't always this way. The more I talked to a couple of my friends who are rabbis, the more I studied um, trying to understand Jesus as a Jew, and, and not as Lord, but as a Jew growing up in first century with Jewish family and predominantly Jewish um, neighborhoods, Jewish area with all the Jewish history. And if he went and truly was a rabbi, then I, I just thought in order to, to understand who he really is and what he really taught, you have to understand what was most important to him. And the more I studied this, this is way after seminary, Jim. The more I studied this, um, the more it impacted my theology and my preaching and, and also gave me a new appreciation for Leviticus. It hasn't done anything with the book of Numbers with me, but Leviticus, it has, it has really impacted. Um, and now I can, I can honestly say that while you may think it's a confusing and dry book, I have come to believe that Leviticus is one of the most revolutionary books in, in Scripture um, because of what it does and what it says. Now, when you read it, I'll give it to you. It's easy to miss the point. I understand when you read it, you get caught up in the sacrifices and in the blood and in all the details of the dietary laws. I, I get that. And, and there are things that are confusing in there, and you miss the purpose of the book and the main point. But if you turn to close to the center of the book, um, Leviticus 20, um, verse 26, I think, and we'll, we'll do this later, I think this is why Leviticus was written. This is the purpose of it. This is why it was so important to Jesus and to the Jewish faith, because God says these words, You shall be holy to me, for I, the Lord, am holy. And I have separated you from the other peoples to be mine. 
Right there is the purpose. Right there is the most important verse, I think, in Hebrew Scripture. You are to be holy like I am holy, and I have separated you, for you shall be mine. Now, part of the problem with that verse, and I understand, is the word holy. Holy in the book of Leviticus is used nearly, or a form of holy, is used nearly 100 times throughout the book. It is, um, and we have lost the meaning. Now, I know that most people are going to say that holy translates to set apart, and that's okay. There is a way you can make it translate to set apart. But if you go to the very root word of holy, H-O-L-Y, the root word of holy is where we get our English word whole, W-H-O-L-E, full, complete. And so what God is really saying, if you, everywhere you see the word holy or holiness, if you would change it to whole and wholeness, It's a whole different understanding. For God is saying, I want you to be whole, complete, fulfilled like I am. And so he gives these these laws and these actions and these behaviors and these attitudes so that one day we will become like that. And in order to do that, he has to separate us, his chosen the Jews, from the rest of the nations. Because you and I know it is easy to be a follower of Jesus on Sunday morning when you're surrounded in a church by other followers of Jesus. But when you get into the world and you're in the workplace or you're in, in, you, you get swept up and it's easy to sometimes forget. And so what God wanted to do is separate his people and have his people look and, and, and taste and appear to be totally different than the rest of the world. So what he did, he took the attitude and the behaviors that the rest were doing. And he said, you will be mine. This is how you are. And you will be like me. Complete, perfect, fulfilled. And that's... That's what this book's about. And that's all it's about. Now, there's, um, if you go back to that verse, and this is why I love the book, is if you go back, the verse, the second part says, and I've separated you from other peoples, so you shall be mine. Now, in English, that sounds like a um, future tense, Right? But when you look in Hebrew at the word, it is more, it can be a future tense and it can be a past tense. But in this case, it's much more of a present tense. So what God is saying, I have separated you, not so that one day you will be mine. He's saying, I've separated you because you've already been mine, you are mine, and you will be mine. And people who think that Leviticus is not a book of grace don't understand that. Because Leviticus 
tells us that even with the fall, even with the mess-ups, even with the way we have blown it, God says, you are mine. You are mine. You are mine. You will always be mine. That's grace. You guys supposed to be upstairs? Yes? No? Come on. You want to know about Leviticus? It's really good. Blood and guts. And, um, so questions on that? Now, yes. Yes. I'm saying yes. I thought you were waving. To be mine, mine own. Depending on the translation. Yes. To be mine. You are mine. And it's perfect for Valentine's Day. Be mine, be mine, mine, you're mine. And, and that's what it's about. And, and this is really one of the first, the, Leviticus is one of the older books written, and it is one of the first places where it's written where God claims the people to be his always in the past and the present and in the future. And that's just, maybe it doesn't get anyone else, but that, I, I love that. Um, so now, but I called it revolutionary, and I saw people roll their eyes, um, and that's okay. It's revolutionary because this book, and what we're going to see next week, begins with five different sacrifices that the people are told to make. There's the burnt offering, the grain offering, the peace offering, the sin offering, the guilt offering. And this is where it gets revolutionary, because the Hebrew word for offering that is used is uh, korban, and korban means to draw near. Now that doesn't mean anything to us because in our world, in our faith, with our God, uh, we, we draw near. We sing about that. We preach about that. To draw near to God. But in the day of 4,000 years ago or whenever this book was actually written, and up until the first century, the understanding of a God who you would invite you to draw near, totally foreign. Because in, back in the day, people didn't talk about gods like that. They didn't believe that you could get anywhere near a god or that you could relate to a god. Which is why I have said since being in this church many times that the most controversial words written in scripture are the words in Genesis, in the beginning God created. Because it was the first time that a... a, a a God was defined and described as a God who was personally, intimately involved with creation. And here is the first time where we, draw, we are invited to draw near, to get close to God. That God doesn't want to keep us at a distance. And that is huge for the time this book was written. It was unheard of. So he goes through these five different sacrifices. And my favorite sacrifice, and we'll talk about it a little more later, is the peace offering. And what I love about the peace offering in chapter 7 is in each of these offerings, it, you are given the details, maybe too many, but you're given the details of, of how you're supposed to present the offering, right? It is in the peace offering where in the where it is said, you must eat that meat that you offer on the same day at the same time that it is offered. So if you bring your 
um, dove. Do you eat dove? If you bring a quail. Sure, dove. Do you eat dove? Really? I'm, I'm with you. Okay, so if you eat dove, if you bring your cow, because you have a lot of money, to be, to be sacrificed, in other offerings, the burnt offering, you don't ever get to see it again. They get to burn. All right? In other offerings, it's fed elsewhere. But in the peace offering, at the moment you offer it to God, you are told you are to eat it. Now, what is it? Now, this is not a trick question, although it's going to seem like one. When you eat something with somebody, it's called a what? Meal. Right? Pretty clever, right? Okay, now, here's the beautiful. God is telling you, telling his people, when you offer the peace offering, you are invited to eat a meal with me, to share a table with me, to be at peace with me. And again, for the first time in human history, there's an understanding of a God who you know how you stand with him. In the other worlds of faith, of religions, you may get smited, smitten, whatever the past tense of smite is, smoten, and you won't even know why. And here, you know exactly where you stand with God. You're invited to eat a meal with him. Because why? Because you shall be, you have been, you will be, you are his. And if that isn't revolutionary, if that isn't grace, if that isn't the picture of God that Jesus painted throughout his ministry that you find in all four gospels, then we're reading different gospels. Because that's what it is. Now, the problem that people have with Leviticus, one, is it's really bloody, right? It's primitive and it's bloody. Well, it was written in a time where the world was bloody. It was a violent, it was it was it wasn't eye for an eye, it was tooth for a tooth. It was worse than that. It was a violent, bloody world. And so they wrote this in a way that would be the language of what these people were used to. One. Two. The other thing I think people don't like is all the details. The reason for the details is, like I said, in other faiths, you could get smoted or smitten. I think it should be smitten, but that doesn't make sense, because like when I met Jill, I was smitten by her, and I'm still standing. So I don't know how smitten can be the past tense of smite or smote. So someone Google that. Anyhow, the, in the other world, you could be smoted by God, but what our God wanted his people to know is step-by-step, detailed instructions so you know whether you were doing it right or not. 
there was a sense of assurance and confidence and calmness because God spelt it out. Here's point. Here's step A. Here's step B. Here's step C. Don't miss the steps. And so you knew exactly what God required. It was not a guessing game. That's why there's, and when you read it, it is repetitive. I mean, it is details. There is constant details, little things that you think, why do I need to know that? What? That's why. And then I had someone tell me they had tried to read it and it was so repetitive, right? It was like the same thing again and over and over and over. The culture in days of Leviticus were predominantly transmitted orally. If I'm trying to teach Richard something orally, what am I going to do? I'm going to repeat it. I have to repeat it. So when they finally wrote it down, they wrote it down the way they were taught. It was repeated. I mean, that's why. It's not because God was trying to make it confusing. Written by humans, orally passed down, someone finally said, gee, you know what? We may want to write this stuff down. So when Richard wrote it down what his grandfather said, he said, well, he said this three times. Oh, I must have to write it down three times, and that's why it's repetitive. That's why. Um, so then I had someone complain. Someone this morning called me and said, well, I'm trying to read Leviticus. I just can't deal with all the sacrifices, right? I, I just can't deal with that. Well, the problem is, is, is God was entering into this relationship with humanity when all around them the, the way of religion was the way you appease to God was sacrifice. And so God couldn't just go in and say, well, I just got to change it all because people would have just, they wouldn't have understood it. They wouldn't have been with it. They would have just said, no, that's just too weird. So what God did is he changed the sacrificial system. There were no more children sacrifices, no more infant sacrifices, no more sacrifices that you couldn't afford. If, if you were poor, you could sacrifice a pigeon. If you had money, you could sacrifice a, a goat or a dove. I don't know which would be more. And so what God did is he, he met the people where they were in the language that they spoke, in the forms that they were accustomed to, but then began to introduce a new thing step by step. For example... There was a time if Joel, um, let's see, let's say Joel tripped me, right? I was walking, Joel tripped me. There was, my revenge could be, I could shoot him if I had a gun back then. There was no law of revenge. So God said, what do we hear? Eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. That's a step up, right? right? If you go to the Minor Prophets, there was a step up even more. And then when you get to Jesus, it's, you've heard it said, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, but I say, turn the other cheek. So what the law did is it started with Leviticus to begin a process as people begin to change and understand God in a new way, that their behavior 
and all would change. It wasn't going to happen overnight. In Galatians, Paul says, you'll like this, it's Paul. Paul says, Richard, that in Galatians, the law, Leviticus, was a tutor to us. The law taught us how to begin in this life with God. And then over the generations, we begin to learn and adapt and gain maturity. And so that, a lot of that stuff in Leviticus, we don't need anymore. Because we don't go eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. We don't need the animal sacrifices. So that's why. It is a beginning step for us. Finally, I love this book because this would have been the first book Jesus read. First book taught to a child in the Jewish faith is in Genesis, is in Exodus, Leviticus. In the Midrash, which are the Jewish rabbi sayings, the Midrash says that the reason why I teach children this book first is because children are pure, therefore let them study the laws of purity. There was another Midrash that said, Jewish learning began here to teach from the outset that life involved sacrifice. And if that was what Jesus read from the time he was a boy, the first thing he learned was Leviticus, then how can we not? And what I hope to do in this study, in a faithful way to the text, is show where Jesus and Leviticus intersect. I will not do it in a way that um, claims that Leviticus is just a prophecy and everything in it was just to point to Jesus because I don't believe that. I will teach it in a way where we will point out where Jesus, bless you, Jesus and Leviticus somehow intersect and that we look in Jesus' teaching and we see Leviticus. And I'm teaching it over Lent not by accident, but because we decided we were going to teach the Jewish feast on Sundays, which are, by the way, all but one of them that we're teaching is found in Leviticus. The one that we're not teaching, or the one we're teaching that's not is the Feast of Purim, which is over the book of Esther. So that's, that's what it's about. We start with the sacrifice, the offerings, where we're called to draw near to God and we'll work our way through that. Um, I'm still, I'll, I'll try to get an outline next week, um, but I still haven't figured out how to do it in, in five sessions, six sessions. I just, it's just it's having a little difficult time breaking it down into manageable chunks, but yet six, six chunks. It's, you really could do a pretty long series on it. Um, so I just hope that you give it a shot. If you don't like it, we'll just switch midway. We'll go to numbers. (laughs) 
Um, I don't think Jesus quoted anything out of Numbers. Uh, but however, the most quoted book that Jesus used in his, that w- is Leviticus. You go to Sermon on the Mount. <laughs> it's Leviticus on um, steroids. Okay, questions? Yes, ma'am. You Googled smote? I like smack. It's kind of like smacking. <laughs> Sounds like my mom. I'm going to smack. I'm going to smack you. Questions? You at least willing to give it like one week and let's see what happens. It, it may be. You don't have to like it. Just That's between you and Jesus. No pressure. But, but I, I would truly like you to just try looking at it um, with an open mind. Yes, ma'am. Uh, yeah. yeah. And if you're Orthodox Jew, <laughs> you're still following those dietary laws. Oh, I... There's a there's a really there's two really interesting books out. Uh, one I really I loved. It was so fun. It was Living the Year Biblically. Have you read that one by A. J. Jacobs? It, it is a scream. Um, he he was a non non practicing Jew, and what he decided to do is he was going to live one year following the letter of the Bible. And it was it is a beautifully written book, right? Then there's this other book. I don't remember the title because I haven't read it. I just read um, summaries of it. And it was, it was started by a church, this preacher. You think, I'm bad. This guy's worse than me. He got 30 of his folks to live Leviticus for 30 days. Right? And, and they could decide how they wanted, how seriously they wanted to how much the letter of the law they wanted to go. One lady, and I love this, she, she built a tabernacle in her kitchen. But it became a holy moment for her. And, and so the thing would lasted 30 days. She left it up for about four or five months, right? This tabernacle, which is where she would go. And, but what happened is, is she stopped noticing the tabernacle. Because you know how when something is there, you don't notice it anymore. So she finally took it down. And what she says is it's even now more of a holy moment because now when she sits on the couch, she sees where the tabernacle was and she remembers this experience. So I'm not challenging you to live 30 days following Leviticus or a year uh, biblically. But if you, it, it, there's a lot of neat stuff in there. In fact, I will argue that if we followed most of the dietary laws, we wouldn't have high blood pressure. We wouldn't have high cholesterol. You know, gluten-free right there in the Bible. Um, a lot of things, you know, the bad part is you just couldn't eat bacon, and I don't care what anyone says. Beef bacon is not as good as pork, right? I mean, I've tried. I go to Katz's. I just can't do it. And I asked for pork bacon one time in Katz's, and it was 
So, yeah, it, it's a very important book, especially to Orthodox Jews. My rabbi friend, one of Jill's patients is a rabbi, a retired rabbi. He was that rabbi at the synagogue, first synagogue, whatever it's called, in downtown Atlanta. And he's a big Braves fan, big baseball fan. So we talk about once every two weeks. Um, but when I need something translated in Hebrew or pronounced in Hebrew, he's who I call. And then he'll record it and send it to me. But I had a long talk with him about Leviticus about six months ago, eight months ago. We went out to dinner. And I just drilled him on Leviticus because I wanted to know that question. Okay, Alvin, you're, you're reformed, Leviticus, but how important is Leviticus to you still? He said, we don't follow exactly the dietary laws, but it's still one of the first books we teach our kids when they do the bat or the bat mitzvah. So, so it's important. Anything else? I would read the first few chapters, the offerings. I mean, and, and when, you read, when you read Leviticus, you don't have to read it like you read the gospel. Because there are repetitive verses. Like in the offerings, you're going to read it. You're going to like, and just skim and get a sense. I think all you have to do is get a sense for what's being said. Did, if you did, and we talked about a little bit today in, in staff, you know that 90 days of the Bible, when you read it 90 days, you're not supposed to think about it, you're just supposed to just read it, right? Which, whatever. Um, that's kind of how you read Leviticus. You just read it, and you, 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 you don't focus on every single word. You just start grabbing ideas and understanding why this offering, why that offering, why... Why the burnt offering? Why the grain offering? Why the peace offering? Why the guilt offering? You know, my favorite offering is peace, and my next one is guilt, because the guilt offering takes care of anything you did that you don't know you did, right? You know, you make the guilt offering to cover yourself. Right? Like, it's like when you go to anybody Catholic, raised raise Catholic, right? right? And you go to the priest, and forgive me, Father, for I have sinned, and, and you just kind of, when you're a kid, you're making stuff up, Right, and so you have something, and then you kind of blanket it, and anything else I did or didn't do, sins of omission, sins of commission. So you get absolution from things you might forget that you did. Right, that's that's a Catholic gig, and and that's what this guilt offering is. I'm just going to make this offering. So if I forgot to confess something, I'm still going to be forgiven. Or if I do something tomorrow, I already paid. And, and so there was a lot of freedom in that. And I just, I'm thinking about just going to make guilt offerings all day long. Just take a dove, slash his head off, pour the blood on the altar. Um, okay, maybe not. Um, what we're going to see when we do the feast, and this is, this is why, I, yes, I get excited about it, and I'm just sorry. What is what it is? What it is. Um, like there's these feasts that we're going to study, and, and when you study them, and when you see, like, there's this one. Should I give him the hint? There's this one feast. And Jesus, remember when Jesus said, um, if you drink of me, you'll never be thirsty again. Remember that whole little scene in John's gospel? 
Do you know what was going on in the background of the time that was written when Jesus said that? What was going on behind him was the, 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 uh, the feast, uh, um, tabernacle, which is all about water. And so the part, of the part of the celebration of that was pouring water down the altar so it would flow down the center of the aisle of the, of the temple. And so that's where Jesus stood. He was right there with that in the background. And he says, you want living, you want water? <laughs> I mean, come on. You start understanding that, the gospels open up. The gospels open up. That's why I love Leviticus. And you don't know that if you don't, just look, that's, that's why we're doing the feast. That's why we're doing this. It's, it's just, it's fun. Yes, it's, I enjoy it. Questions? Anything else? Richard, you good? Yes. You were giggling? You giggled a lot this week at church office. We paid you to laugh. It's a, yes, a show coming, yeah. yeah. That book. But read the book. And it's, it is a really quick read. Have you read it? Have you seen it? A.J. Jacobs was a writer, and he started, his main writing gig at first was he would write for Britannica Encyclopedia. I mean, right? That was his job. And then he got bored with that, and he started writing this other this book. So if you want to have fun, it is a great book. I couldn't live that way. Now I have a, a new expression. Uh, when I grew up, it, it was said, uh, I'm going to knock you into next week. So now that we're studying Leviticus, we can go forward with the thought that you got smate in the next week. <laughs> Smat? Smat. Not, well. S-M-A-T. Smat. But how is smitten part of it? So we'll, we'll, we'll come back next week. I, I don't remember the, I think it's the covenant class that's, uh, that's uh, offering them the meal for next week. And we will thank them in advance and come. And we do appreciate the meal uh, for tonight. Uh, you see somebody, encourage them to come. I think this will be very interesting. Those of you that are in, in the disciple study, this is going to be uh, uh, put on Facebook, right? Podcast. Podcast, so that you'll be able to uh, to uh, see it. Because several have asked me, how can we do both? Well, that's how you'll do both, just not at the same time. I hope. <laughs> so, uh, Jim, would you offer us uh, a little blessing as we go forth in the evening?